welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Well, hey, I'm uh, glad you all are all at 20s uh, tonight as we open God's Word together. Uh, for any of you who are new or may not know me, my name is Alex. I serve over the kids' ministry here at Redeemer Church. <laughs> I have friends. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, but no, I also have the privilege of opening up God's Word tonight as we continue through the Gospel of John. And... As I was getting ready for this evening, I remembered a conversation that I had in high school uh, while I was at a party. And just to get out of the way, I probably shouldn't have been at this party in the first place, but I was. And while I was there, I found myself talking with another girl who had shown up. And the interesting thing about it is that she was the one who came and she approached me. And the reason why was because she wanted to ask me a very specific question. And we didn't really know each other that well, but she had somehow found out that my dad was a pastor and that I was uh, a professing believer. And so she came up to me in the middle of this party and she said, hey, I want you to tell me what it is that you believe about God. Not the question you usually get at a party in high school, but there it was. And all of a sudden I found myself with a an opportunity to share my faith. And I could tell by the way that she was asking uh, that something was bothering her as well. So I tried to answer in the best way possible. And it went along the lines of, well, I believe that God created all things, um, that we sinned and we rebelled against him, and that because of that we're under judgment, but that God, because he so loved us, sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to die on the cross in our place. And he did that, And three days later, he rose again from the grave, and now he's in heaven reigning, and he's going to come back and get me someday. And so that's that's pretty much the bare-bones gospel that I gave to her. And as soon as I shared it, what was interesting is she just started to cry. And it wasn't exactly what you would think. It wasn't that she was, like, sad or sorrowful, but more so she was angry. They were angry tears that she was crying. And as she pulled herself together, what she said is, well, if that's true, and God really exists, then I want you to explain to me why he let my brother OD two months ago. Suddenly I found myself in a very emotionally raw situation. And uh, I had no clue beforehand that her brother had just passed away. But all the same, here was this girl standing in front of me, trying to make sense of her pain and wondering how a God who is loving would let her brother die. And we kept talking about it uh, through most of the night, but where she ultimately landed was that such a God either doesn't exist or that he wasn't worth following. It was heartbreaking. I stood there and I, I just begged her. I said, no, like, please, Jesus loves you. But she obviously reached a very different conclusion. And I have to trust that to the Lord, but... You know, as I thought about our passage for tonight, that interaction came to my mind because it reminded me that while all people will experience death and 
hardship and suffering, not all of them, not all of us will get to discover the true purpose behind that suffering. And right, this is the, the tension that Job felt as he cried out to God. Like, why? He lost everything. And I can imagine it's probably the same wrestling that a mom goes through when she loses her child at birth. And in reality, that's all of us here tonight. This is what all of us experience to one degree or another. Everyone is searching for some kind of meaning behind their suffering. And while that pain can seem very complex at times, I don't want to oversimplify it, it is complex. Yet all the same, as we open up to the Gospel of John together tonight, the Scriptures are going to unveil the good news for us in the most simple and beautiful way. And it's this. That God makes sense of our suffering through his son. I believe that. And I hope by the end of the night you do too. That God makes sense of our suffering through his son. God isn't trying to hide his reasons from us. (laughs) And tonight we're going to see that our suffering is ultimately for his glory. We're going to see that our suffering is so that we might believe in God. And we're going to see that our suffering is so that God might display Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the life. But it begins with God's glory. And so what I want you guys to do is to open up with me to John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. And the title I've given this message is God's purpose in our suffering. If you were here last week... Luke preached from the second half of John chapter 10 on Jesus' claim to be God. And in verse 30 of that same chapter, so if you're just to kind of glance back, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. (laughs) And all the Jews who are there who hear Jesus say this, well, they pick up stones and they try to kill him. Why? Because they realize that Jesus is claiming to be God himself. And to them it was blasphemy that he would say, I and the Father are one. But since it wasn't his time yet, Jesus escaped from their hands and he left Jerusalem with his disciples to continue his ministry across the Jordan River. And that's where we leave off in our passage for tonight. Jesus is doing ministry away from Jerusalem and from all the people who want to kill him. But soon, very soon, he's going to be called back by the suffering of a friend. And it's in this situation that God is going to reveal his purpose for our own suffering. That's why this text matters so much. And so you guys can follow along with me. I'm going to read it starting in verse 1. And I'm going to break it up because we're going through 44 verses tonight. So I'm going to do section by section rather than the whole thing. Yeah, you guys can pray for me now. (laughs) In verse 1 it says that, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that, through, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm going to stop there real quick because it has my first point in it. And what that point is, is that God's purpose in our suffering is for the sake of his own glory. 
And of all the things that God is going to reveal about suffering in this text, I think that this is the one that people struggle with the most. (laughs) That God in his sovereignty and in his control over all things would allow us as his creation to suffer. And yet, that's what the Bible clearly shows to be true. Because that was the case for Lazarus, wasn't it? When we read these first four verses, we see that the suffering he was experiencing was some kind of illness. And while we don't know what that sickness was, we do know that it's going to kill him in a little bit. And so I can imagine that it wasn't a very pleasant experience to go through. And beyond that, you also have to consider that the people that loved Lazarus, the people that he knew, were also going to suffer because of this illness. Right? You think of Mary and of Martha and all the family, and all the friends, and even Jesus himself was going to be greatly affected due to the loss of this friend. Look at what the sisters say in verse 3. They're describing Lazarus to Jesus, and they say that he is the one, Lord, whom you love. Right? And so this isn't a stranger to Jesus that we're talking about tonight. When we're discussing Lazarus and his suffering what you have to realize is that he had an intimate friendship with Christ. And that speaks to the humanity of Jesus. Because Jesus is God. And when we think of God, we think he's holy, he's he's far off, we couldn't even be before him, we'd be pancaked. And yet here's Jesus, and he has friends, right? He knows people, he's intimate in his relationships with them. And yet even with that close relationship, Jesus doesn't question his father for letting Lazarus grow sick. Instead, he tells his disciples, this illness, it does not lead to death. Instead, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, what does Jesus mean by all that? Because it's a pretty interesting response. And I think there's two things we can take away from his answer tonight. And the first is that Jesus knew death wasn't the end for Lazarus. Why can Jesus respond? Why doesn't he you know, just break down in tears when he hears that Lazarus is ill? It's because he knows how the game plays. He knows at the end of it all, Lazarus is not going to die and then be done with. He's going to be resurrected. In fact, Jesus is the one who's going to do it, which is awesome. And an even greater hope that lay in store for Lazarus was that one day, not only would he be resurrected physically four days from now, but eventually he would be eternally resurrected. And it would be to a joy that would wipe away all the suffering that was going to come before. And so Jesus can say, this is an illness that does not lead to death. He's talking about eternity here. He has a better picture in mind. And that's our first takeaway, but the second one is where I want to focus because it's where I grab my point from. And it's here that Jesus reveals to us that suffering is primarily for the glory of God. That is what Jesus is saying in verse 4. That it was for the sake of his own glory that God allowed this illness to take hold of Lazarus' life. And what that means for us is that if God allowed Lazarus to go ill and to to suffer for his glory, then it follows that he also allows our own suffering for the same reason. When we suffer, it is for the sake of God's glory. Do you realize that? 
when you suffer, it is not all about you. We have to move away from that thought. It is for God's glory. And yet, how does God do this? How does he bring himself glory through our suffering, through illness and things like death and disease and hardship? Well, to answer that, I think it's really important that we understand how the scriptures define glory. Because if our, the point of our suffering is that God receives glory, then we should probably know what glory is. And in regards to God especially, when the Bible speaks about glory, it actually has two meanings in mind. And the first meaning when we speak about glory is God's adoration. It is the praise that he is due for his character and for his deeds. And so this is why we worship. Even at the beginning, we sang songs. We're, we're ascribing to God. We're saying, this is who you are. This is what you have done for us. And we're giving you praise. But that's not the only kind of glory. And it's not the kind of glory that Jesus is focusing on in this passage. I found this really helpful as I was studying. Instead, what you find is that glory can also reveal to God's revelation of himself. And to put that in other words, glory can be used as a reference to God's self-disclosure. And so it is him revealing himself to us. That's glory. It's God revealing himself to us. And in the Gospel of John, that is the meaning that is most commonly used. And why do I go down this rabbit trail? Why is that so important? Because if our suffering is for the sake of God's glory, and we don't understand what that glory is all about, then it will make us bitter towards God. But if we look at it and we realize that our suffering is for the purpose of God revealing himself to us, letting that be his glory, then it changes everything. I think there's a great biblical illustration of this as I was wrestling through it. And it's actually only like two pages behind. So you can turn there with me if you want, but it's John chapter 9. And uh, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus is with his disciples and they're walking and they see this blind guy. And one of the disciples looks to Jesus and he says, okay, Rabbi, why is he blind? And according to what was common Jewish thought at the time, disabilities were assumed to be the result of sin. So if you were blind or, or, or crippled or lame, they thought something had gone wrong in your life. And that's what this disciple assumed too. And he says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And how does Jesus respond? It's quite incredible. He says, it's not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you see the parallel? between the two. God allowed the man to suffer blindness, not because of any sin in his life, but that he might display himself through that man's blindness. And why that matters so much, that it was for the sake of God's glory that he was blind and that he suffered, is because God does the same with us. And I think this is where it becomes so practical and so helpful, especially to young adults, to people our age. Because some of you here tonight are suffering. You are. In a room this large, it's inevitable. I know we've all suffered, but I'm saying right in this moment, some of you are wrestling. In fact, I know that's true because I meet with you. 
I've heard this from your own lips. I've seen the tears. So I know that there are dreams that have been broken in the room. I know that there has been family or, or loved ones that have been lost and you're mourning over in the room. And I know that there are things that you want so desperately and yet God holds it back and it hurts. But that suffering is not meaningless. And I think this is what the world is really grasping for. They're trying to figure it out. Why does all this happen? It's not meaningless. It wasn't random. Friends, God allowed that suffering to come up in your life because he wants to reveal himself to you through it. That's what we learn from this passage. God allows our suffering so that he can reveal himself to us. And when you start to believe that's true, it is a paradigm shift that has massive implications for how you live. Because instead of, you know, encountering suffering in our lives, something happens, and now you just start to think, well, God's against me. I I just want to despair. I want to give up. Instead of thinking that, now we get to view those as opportunities for God to reveal himself to us. Does that make it less painful? Not always. But is, it how, is that how God wants us to respond? Yeah. Is that how he works in our lives, that we would come to know him more intimately as our father, as the great comforter, as it says in 2 Corinthians? And so my question tonight for you is, is that how you view your suffering? When those hard moments come up, whether it's right now or before or later on in life, is that how you view your suffering? Do you think about it as an opportunity for God to display himself in your life? Or is it just another reason for you to get discouraged? Only you know. (laughs) I don't. But if it's the latter, then God wants something better for you. He wants you to trust in him. He wants you to believe that he's good, that he's working all things for your good. He wants you to pray that his glory would be revealed through your situation. And guys, I, I will be the first one to say that is not easy to do. It's a lot easier for me to stand up here and say this is what we're called to do than it is to live it out. But all the same, this is what God has called us to if we are to follow him. He wants us to respond by looking for him in our suffering. And the good news is that when we do, he will always show himself as faithful. He will always show himself as faithful. I love the declaration of Psalm 36.5. It says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness above the clouds. Isn't that awesome? It is a good thing to know that even in the midst of our suffering, God is there for us. He's going to care. And you want to know why you can take that to the bank? Because it's for his glory. You're not the reason why he's going to provide. It's his Glory. That's why you can trust he's going to move. And so don't think tonight that your suffering has no meaning or that you have to figure out why it is that it's happening to you. Is it because of your sin? It might be. But guess what? It might not be. In either case, God's going to use it for his glory. That brings me to my second point. God's purpose is for the sake of his glory but in our suffering, it's also so that we may, we may believe in him. 
It's so we might believe. And I take this from verse 5 through 16, and so I'm going to read that for us. It says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They don't get it. (laughs) Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. He gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Here he is, and he's the only one who says, Let us die. (laughs) And he goes off with Jesus. You know, God's purpose in our suffering is that we may believe. I think that comes out pretty clearly, especially in verse 15. But looking back to verse 6, Jesus makes an incredible decision after he hears that Lazarus is dying. Right? He gets the message from Mary and Martha, and they say, you know, your friend Lazarus, who you love, is dying. And he says, all right, guys, let's set up camp. We're going to stay for two more days. And if it's your first time reading the Bible, usually you're reading, reading, okay, okay, Lazarus is dying, Jesus is hearing about it, Jesus decides to stay. Wait, you go back and you're like, what gives? (laughs) Like, Jesus is going to stay? Doesn't he care about Lazarus? Wouldn't he want to go and heal Lazarus before he dies? But that's not what Jesus does. He's intentionally going to delay himself. And it almost doesn't make sense why he would do that until you read it in the context of the verse that came right before. In verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so what is it that's driving Jesus' decision to stay away? It's his love. The delay was motivated by his love. And the reason why that decision can even be described as loving, we would all think, well, letting Lazarus die, how could that be love? Well, the reason why we find out as we go on, and it's because ultimately, Lazarus' suffering and death was going to lead his family and many people around him to believe in Jesus Christ. That's the key. Jesus had the end game in mind as he made this decision. And that's why he can later on say to his disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad. It's not like he's saying, guys, guess what? Lazarus died. I'm so happy. It's like we've all joked about that. But here's Jesus saying, no, he's dead. I am glad. Why? For your sake. And what is it? What is it that he says for their sake? It's so that you may believe. Again, it's not as though Jesus is rejoicing over the death of his friend, but rather he knew that he had been given an opportunity 
to work one of the greatest miracles of his life because Lazarus was dying, if not already dead. And he knew that performing that miracle would lead many people to salvation. And what's so interesting about that to me is that Jesus doesn't limit this idea of belief through suffering to non-believers. I mean, certainly it's true that one of the effects of Lazarus being raised is that more people who don't know Jesus are going to believe. They're going to see it happen and say, wow, I'm following him. He's raising people from the dead. But Jesus also then applies this idea to the people who were already following him. We have to remember who he's talking to here. In verse 15 and 16, it's the disciples. And they already believed in him. So what does that teach us? It shows us that even in their faith, they had room to grow. And that faith was going to be strengthened and increased through the suffering of Lazarus. It was so that they would believe as well. And again, God was going to use suffering to bring people to greater faith. And as I studied this, I came across uh, a great illustration of how this plays out in our own lives. And it is this idea of a Japanese tradition. So you have to forgive me for the pronunciation. But it's called kintsugi. Have any of you heard about this before? Oh, this is great. None of you will know. Okay, I can't claim this illustration as my own. Corey actually, we were talking about the message and he, he brought it up to me. But what it is, is it's this kind of art form where they use broken pieces of clay to create new pottery. And so this, again, it comes from Japan and how it works is that the artist will make a dish and then they will intentionally break it into many pieces. And so, like, if you remember in fifth or sixth grade, or maybe it was high school for you, you take, like, the pottery class and you're shaping it. Mine all stink, but you would have somebody who would make, like, the most beautiful one, one that would make your jaw drop, and they spend hours on it, and then they just take the thing and smash it on the ground. And you're like, no! You're like, if it was me in fifth grade, I'd be, I'd be enraged. <laughs> I'd be like, I worked five hours! It didn't look like a cup, but it was there! No. So anyways, the point. They, they would make these beautiful pots and then break them. And the reason why they would do that is so that they could bring it all back together and then they would reforge it using gold to fill in the cracks. And the result is that they would create a design that didn't hide the imperfections of the dish, but instead it highlighted them as the most beautiful piece of the art. And isn't that what God does to us through suffering? He allows us to go through hardships and suffering, sometimes to the point where we do break or the cracks feel a little bit wider. But then in his infinite love and mercy, he picks up those broken pieces of our lives and he puts us back together and he restores our faith and he fills in the things that we can't, and then he highlights what were once the broken pieces of our faith to be the most beautiful aspects of who we are. And our belief becomes stronger than it ever was before. Would any of you testify to that tonight? That you hate your suffering, but you wouldn't be the same person without it? 
Friends, part of the reason you might be suffering tonight is because God wants to make your belief stronger than it already is. He might want it to be a little more beautiful than it, might, than it is tonight. And while part of that process certainly hurts, the joy that you can have in the midst of your suffering is that you can know that ultimately it's going to strengthen your faith and nothing can take that away. I think that's part of why our times of suffering lead to some of our sweetest experiences with God. I can share that from my own life. When I've gone through like low seasons, like the valley, I've never been closer to God. I love being on the mountaintop. I'd rather be there all the time, but I would never appreciate that the highness of it, if it wasn't for the fact that I'd been brought low before. And I think this is why James can say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has a purpose for our suffering. And it's so we might believe in him. Amen? But what, exa- what exactly is it that we are to believe in? I think that's the natural question. And it brings me to what is my last point. Which is that God's purpose in our suffering is to reveal his son as the resurrection and the life. And I take this from the rest of the chapter. <laughs> And so I'm going to read verses 17 through 27. It says that when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. She said, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Why does God allow death and suffering to enter into our lives? It is so we might know Jesus as the resurrection and the life. In this section of scripture, God gives us what is one of the most incredible displays of the gospel that you will find. And it comes through a conversation. And what's so fascinating to me about conversation is that Martha is the one who gets to have it. <laughs> right? If you remember, remember from Luke chapter 10, it was Mary her sister, 
who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened and and did what she was supposed to while Martha busied herself doing all the chores until Jesus rebuked her. And it seems here like the rebuke struck a chord and that she learned the lesson because now she gives one of the strongest declarations of faith that you will find throughout the entire Bible. And it's awesome. (laughs) It is awesome. It says that she runs out to him as Jesus was approaching, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And again, those are not an indictment against Jesus. Those are words of grief and of faith. Martha knew if Jesus had been here, he would have been able to heal my brother. But in an act of faith, she submits to Jesus and says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. And what does Jesus say in response? He will rise again. Your brother, he will rise again. And it's at this point that Martha takes Jesus to mean that he's speaking about the final resurrection. You have to understand the Jews had a concept for this, that after we die, someday at the end, we all get resurrected. They believe that. And so Jesus, having affirmed that in his own teaching, is is speaking to Martha and she looks at him and thinks, maybe that's what he's talking about. Yes, Lord. You know, she kind of takes it, well, yeah, Jesus, I know. Thank you, that helps me feel better that many, many years from now, I'll get to see him again. And he says, no, you don't understand. And he changes her mind. And he confronts her with something that she couldn't imagine by saying, I am the resurrection in the life. You're not waiting until eternity. I'm here now. You see, Jesus didn't want Martha focusing on an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day. He wanted her to personally believe in him as the only way to that resurrection. He wanted her to focus on the moment. And notice that in this declaration, Jesus doesn't say, you know, I will cause the resurrection. Or I will be what brings about the resurrection. No, he says something way stronger. He says, I am the resurrection. And what does that mean? It means that the resurrection from the dead and eternal life with God are so closely tied to who Jesus is that he embodies them and that they can only be found in a relationship with him. There's no other avenue. And in biblical terms, this is what we call the doctrine of our union with Christ. That's what the Bible is teaching here and it talks about it in other places. That through faith, when we believe in Jesus, we are in a sense brought into union with him to such a degree that his resurrection and his life become our very own. It's not that Jesus gives us a a, a secondary resurrection. It is his resurrection that we are partaking in when we put our faith in him. And the best illustration I could come up with is newlyweds and their bank accounts. Ben and Abby, you should be able to testify. Brennan and Emma, you too. Congrats. Um, But what happens is all of a sudden you have two people with very different accounts probably at very different places, but then coming together and making what? One account. So that if you have someone who is extremely rich and someone who is extremely poor and they come together, the poor person is no longer poor. 
And so when you apply that to our own situation, all of us are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to bring before God, but then we are unified to Christ by faith and our bank account becomes his bank account and we get everything. This doctrine matters because it's why Jesus can then say, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus can say this because he is the guarantee of that promise. He knew he was going to die and be resurrected. And after that happened, nothing could take life away from him. So then nothing can take life away from us who believe in him. That is our hope in suffering. Jesus Christ is the guarantee of our promise, and as long as he lives, those who believe shall never perish. You know, this is why I love that hymn, Behold the Throne of God. I want to read one of the stanzas. It's the last one in it. It says, Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. That's what this is talking about here. It's that our life becomes hid with Christ on high because he is the resurrection and the life. God has revealed this this to us through his word and it's his intention to remind us of this truth through our suffering. And that's the key. Again, every instance of brokenness and pain in your life is meant to remind you that ultimately you were made for something better than this life. You were made for a greater kingdom and a greater king, and his name is Jesus. And he extends the offer of his resurrection to anyone who would believe in him. That's the good news. That to partake in this union, you don't have to clean yourself up. To make sense of your suffering, you don't have to go on some inner spiritual journey. You look to Jesus and you put your faith in him. I love the New City Catechism. We use it to teach the kids at our church. And one of the questions that we went over last week, it says, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Because I think that becomes really abstract. Put your faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, what does that mean? Well, according to the catechism, it says that faith in Jesus is receiving and resting upon Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel for our salvation from sin. It's receiving this truth that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, and is coming back for us. It's saying, yeah, I'm ready to say that's true. But it can't just stop there. You can't just receive Jesus. You have to rest on him. And it carries the picture of just putting your full weight upon it, right? It's like a trust fall. <laughs> the only way you can show you have faith in your friends is if you actually fall. And that's what it means for us with Christ. It means we're putting our full weight on him. And when we do, Scripture is clear that you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And God will make sense of your suffering through his son. And so don't turn away from that. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, it's your first time, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Obviously, this is a very heavy topic to come to on your first night. 
Um, but I think it's important because this is a question we all wrestle with. Why suffering? And ultimately, it is to drive us to our creator and our savior, Jesus Christ. And so you have to wrestle with that. You can sit there and think, maybe I don't believe in this Jesus, but then you're responsible to make sense of your suffering. And I guarantee you, you won't be able to. Only Christ can. So don't turn away from him. Instead, be like Martha. (laughs) I love her response. After saying all these things, Jesus asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when you look at the rest of the text, I don't have time to read it, but I'll summarize. When you look at it, Jesus doesn't disappoint her faith, does he? He goes on to talk to Mary. He weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus, but then he goes to the site of the grave and he tells them, roll away the stone. All right, this is verse 39. (laughs) I'm not gonna summarize it, I'm gonna read it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's awesome. (laughs) Can you imagine being there? Maybe you're Martha. You're like, all right, roll the stone. (laughs) Come out, Lazarus. And you know, if you're Mary or Martha, you, you believe in Jesus. You trust, you've sat at his feet, but you've always wondered, is it real? Is he actually who he says he is? And to have that moment where your faith is made sight and you actually get to see God move. I can only imagine what it would be like. But the truth is that only happened because there was suffering. And the reason that God allows it is so that he has those moments to show off in our lives. And so that he can display himself as infinitely enough infinitely more than any suffering we could ever face. And I think that's good news. To open our time, I I shared the story of a girl who rejected Christ in the face of her suffering. And so as I was thinking how I would end this, I thought that it would only be fitting to end our time by sharing the response of a woman who made the better choice. Sarah Edwards was the wife of a great preacher named Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may be familiar with him. But when her husband died at the age of 54 from smallpox, she picked up a pen and she wrote these words to her daughter, Esther, who had also recently lost her husband. And she said, My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. 
He has made me adore his goodness that we had your father so very long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God and there I am and love to be your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. I think that is a very good picture of how God wants us to respond in our own suffering. We need to acknowledge it. We need to lay it at the foot of the cross with joy. And we need to know that in Christ, our resurrection and our life is secure. And guys, I don't know what that will look like for you. But I do know, and I do pray over the 20s ministry, that God would be sufficient and that our hearts would reflect Sarah Edwards. <laughs> so that when we encounter suffering, we would say with a very similar faith, my God lives and he has my heart. We all are given to God and there we are and love to be. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we thank you for this precious truth that you have given us to your word. Lord, sometimes we come and there is joy and excitement and, and even humor to be found. But then other times we find suffering and pain and hardship. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you speak to both. And that you haven't been silent in our suffering, but that you have made sense of it through Jesus Christ. So that we can have joy. And so that we can be excited and passionate and laugh and be with one another. Lord, it's only because you're enough. And so I just pray over the 20s ministry that as we continue to walk forward into our lives this week and we inevitably encounter different types of suffering, that we would not be discouraged or turned away from you, but rather that those moments would draw us to your throne of grace and glory and that you would meet us there as the God of all comfort and you would comfort us in our afflictions Lord you promised to do that in your word and so we claim that promise now according to Christ would you be with anyone here who is suffering who has lost a friend or a family member or a job or doesn't understand why you're moving the way that you are God would you speak to them in the quiet place of their soul and show them your love and Lord, as you do that, would you day by day build up the 20s ministry so that your name is glorified, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that we would one day sing praises to your name and to the name of our Savior forever and ever. God, we love you so much. I'm so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray all these things. Amen.